from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, 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 America world. It is the American Awakening squad. So excited to be with you today. We've got an unbelievable show. I'm going to tell you more about that in a minute. And Ann Snyder Brooks, good to have you here, Ann. It's so good to see friendship on a screen. This is like very cool. So thank you for having me. That's awesome. Ann is is, uh, the best on so many different levels. And uh, one of the things Ann was telling us before we came on the air was that she woke up feeling hopeful today. Uh, and and hopefully we juiced up your hope just a little bit because I was asking her to borrow a little bit of her hope before we got on the air. Um, so you, it occurred to me you asked sort of why I was feeling hopeful earlier, and uh, we're obviously going through a huge year as a society, as a globe, but especially as the U.S. Or we have our particular distinctives in the U.S. And there's different moments in a movement happening, and we I think there's shaking moments and there's violent moments, and and I'm really I think I feel encouraged because I sense actually there's like the artistic moment is starting to bloom. Psalmists and poets mm-hmm. are like putting some of the pain to speech and yep. also bringing some of the hope to speech. So I just feeling that this week a little bit. And I, I think that's like a really great thing because it's a uniting thing and it's a softening thing for all of us. Oh, I will say of the, of the people out there in the world that get the spirit of this band, um, this, fo- this group of folks that are doing the American Awakening Project together, I, I, I put Anne like in the top, you know, three of anybody who gets us. And Anne, we're so grateful for you. Jeff, I'll let you do the official introduction of, of Anne, if you will. Well, I uh, I might have to toss that back to you for the official introduction. I thought I was just introducing the the book club. I mean, I could give the another unofficial that Anne's incredible and amazing. And I remember hanging out with her last November. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know if I could explain all her amazingness because like I said, I think it was on the last show, I said, you know, I'm a public school dropout, and so she uses words that I've never heard, I've never seen. I don't know what they, I don't know what they mean. I don't know what's going on, but it sounds very <laughs> fancy, so smart, very incredible. Those who can't do talk, so. <laughs> but uh, maybe actually, Anne, I, I like letting people share a little bit about themselves just for a minute too. But yeah, I mean, you do such incredible work across so many different kind of platforms, genres, where you've been, where you are now. Maybe if you want to just share for a minute or two before we jump into the book, what, what you would say to that? Uh, sure. So. Um... I guess uh, at heart, like, and this is maybe cliche to say, but ever since I was 19 years old, I kind of had a moment and it was like an enunciation moment for me. I was a fairly new Christian, like three years in, and I just somehow knew that I was called to build bridges. And so I think at heart, like, that's what I feel compelled by. We're going to talk about purpose. And I wound up um, heading into sort of writing as the main way in which I try to do that. And I, these days in particular, feel like such a failure, frankly, and in that regard, it's just rough waters out there. Um, but yeah, I edited a magazine. I'm, I'm started a project called Breaking Ground this year that's trying to address sort of the twin pandemics, you could say, or twin crises of both COVID-19 and then all that's happened in sort of this mass awakening awakening um since um, george floyd was killed on may 25th so complex waters but feel like really worthy to try to cohere a voice that is one of faith and realism and hope from kind of different quarters of the quote-unquote church and i would i guess just more broadly say people of god and all of our own warts and scars and to try to do some soul searching ourselves but also maybe bring some grace into the moment um so that's what i'm working on and um it's been 
hopeful and a total adventure. <laughs> Let me add one more note on that, which is a, just to echo what I said before, which is that, that um, you know, Anne is one of the sisters in the movement that, that understands exactly where we're coming from. And her breaking ground is completely in line with what we do, just in a slightly uh, different and uh, nevertheless fully adjacent space. Um, so her breaking ground work is exciting. We're, we're pleased to be partners with you in that. Um, we hope to be encouraging in your in your future efforts in that in that area. Um, and, um, you know, let's bring it back to the, the book for today anyway. Uh, we wrote it starting 18 months ago, and it ended up at a much different place than we thought it would be when we started. And it, guess what? Um, where God brought the end of that book um, by the time we were done with it uh, was to be equipped to speak exactly into this moment that Anne was talking about. Uh, the arc of it is from individual and purpose and an overcoming adversity and being in community and then living fully into the American ideal, which is exactly what we're all wrestling with right now. And so I don't know how it happened. Um, it's way, way above my pay grade how this happened, but it's coming out in a few weeks and it's right on about all the stuff we're all talking about. And over to you, Jeff, with that. Yes, so we're excited to chat about it. Chapter two is, I think, one of my favorite chapters from the book. Um, John, specifically, because I love how much you told your story in this. I think it was really captivating, really powerful. And I think the diagnosis is very, very strong. And what the chapter two is on is purpose. You know, that if we're going to actually have an awakening, if we're going to actually find a space of health and flourishing, we have to dig into this word purpose. Do we have it? What is it? What's the point? Have we misplaced it? So, John, first question for you. I just wanted to ask real quick, a simple, basic one to get us started. I mean, you you shared a lot in this chapter. I mean, I remember reading it again uh, last night after, I, like I said, I remember I read it six months ago or something, whenever you sent me the PDF and remembering like, oh man, you really cover a lot of ground on your own story from I think like 1990 to last year. You know what I mean? In that, in like five pages um, <laughs> with a lot of ups and downs and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, what, what, what do you feel like, how did that story real quickly get you to this purpose question again? And why do you think so? Look, I struggle with knowing my purpose. I'll just be be blunt about that. Um, and um, you know, I have some foundational struggles in in my spiritual life. One of them being knowing purpose. Another one knowing that God loves me. I mean, those are pretty pretty fundamental to the whole storyline of who we are as children of God. And if you don't get those tangibly and 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 experientially, then you're kind of missing a big part of the story. I understand them in concept. Um, I have trouble experiencing them in reality. Um, which you know, not everybody's like me, but Probably a lot of people are sort of like me that way. And so I think that I think that a lot of times a person who struggles the most with a particular thing may be the best person to speak ab about it, right? Because you're like, look, I'm thinking about it every single day for the last 35 years of my life, right? I mean, I, I somehow I'm winding my way around this this uh, subject line and realizing that, that um, you know, when I go through difficult times, um, you know, which I don't go through difficult times more than the next person does, but I, you know, everybody goes through their difficult times, that when I do, um, I say, well, what's this about? You know, what am I about? Who are we? Um, what, what is our anchoring? And that that drives me back into the, this arc over and over again. And, and you know, in the, and I won't go into the details about the whole thing, but you know, it it, it you know kind of fastens, attaches to one one window of time where I where I you know lose a, an election in a in a huge fail. Um, that's what it felt like, huge humiliation fail. And then I have a stroke, and then we have some family challenges, and it happens all in a very you know kind of a tight little window. 
and and, a, and a, it's sort of the the story of like sort of kind of going back to the 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 anchoring bits about hey god put us on the planet for a purpose we are here for meaning and significance every single human life is an extraordinary narrative unpacking itself because the god of the universe poured his creative essence into each one of us and if any one of us is not showing up with our full selves the rest of us are 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 suffering i mean now the person who suffers the most is the person who's experiencing that, right? Um, of course, the person themselves that doesn't understand they have purpose, it feels it the most acutely, but but the, 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 the next person in your family feels it, your friends feel it. We all need each other to fully embody the, the, the creative essence that God has infused into every single one of us. I love that. I love that. That's good. What about the part that really stuck out to me, and this can be the discussion for everyone now, is your distinction between happiness and purpose. And I think I, I felt like that diagnosis is very strong of this moment of is, you know, do we believe that's an outsized or an undersized problem in the sense of, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, when people focus on happiness, the more people focus on happiness, they actually more lonely they are, the more depressed they are, the more like, it's kind of like almost chasing the carrot on the stick um, rather than chasing like mission and vision and purpose and kind of like stuff that might be uh, in the moment, not painful, but uh, uh, difficult work, but it's fulfilling. And those, and sometimes those do go against each other, but we always choose the immediate satisfaction. I almost think like the, the Christian version of this that, and I think it has to do with language, that we've kind of flattened language where happiness doesn't mean, like you said, what it used to mean. The Christian version of that, I think we do a lot is love, right? We, you know, the, the, the way that sometimes you hear this Christian version of love be expounded on is so Disney, not scripture. Do you know what I mean? Uh, when, you know, it's, it's not this actual sacrificial cruciform version of love. It's this personal fulfillment love. So I think a lot of that does get to like our language differences and stuff. But yeah, I'd love to chat about that. Do we think that that is this, that, that, we've, that we've kind of traded mission, vision, and purpose for personal satisfaction and happiness? Do we think that is a big part of some of the problem we're facing as a society and why that is, where that is, and what that is? Well, I'll start off. I'll just say, yeah, I do. But I understand it because the truth is that chasing the mission and purpose and deeper things is way harder. And it, JK can probably attest to this. A life lived in search of those means that you probably want to be comforted a lot more often because that's, that's hard. I mean, to connect with the reason why you're on earth and to constantly sort of, if you're feeling like you're struggling with that, um, to, to be able to find some solace because that's a, that's a life. God journey thing that's much deeper and bigger than all of us. Um, but what I will say too, and I'm not going to disrupt the conversation. I just want to say, I'm going to put a pin in this. One of the most beautiful things I loved about this chapter was that even just as you wrote this, JK, and you laid all this stuff out, what you came back to at the very end in re like regarding the, the family mission statement, and when you found it again, how it reminded you of who you were. One of the most beautiful things I thought about this, this was like, you let us see in this chapter, the journey of a, of a person who was searching for it, but it was there all along. And that like, no matter how frustrated you feel, thank God for the moments where God reminds you of who you are in ways that are not far from you. I was really inspired by that. I was touched by that because it really felt like there's something in that for all of us. Like God loves us so much that even though we might go through a lifetime of questioning, there are times that he'll bring it back. It might it might not have reminded anyone else, else of this, but it reminded me of Lego. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of Lego, but 
they had this mission statement. And then 50 years in, in the 90s, they almost went bankrupt because they lost the mission and vision by just creating things that were outside of their mission statement, like bionicles and all these weird things that no one wanted. And they almost went bankrupt. And then the CEO is like, we're not actually creating anymore why the things we are called to create, they changed back to the mission statement. And now they're just like a huge multi-billion dollar company again. But it's stuff like that, that's just like, yeah, rediscovering something that's already there just kind of keeps you honed in. It's really powerful. The uh, I, I, First of all, I, I love the way uh, Jeff Fethke can run everything through the prism of Lego. God bless you, Jeff, for bringing it all <laughs> back to- It's my favorite. I was building yesterday. I love it. I love it. I love that about you. You know that. So that is a great reminder, um, Jeff, the Lego story. And and Marissa, on your point, I, I look back, at, you know, and I pick, picked up the mission statement, which, which is there all the time. I, you know, just, you don't look at it every day. You kind of it's you know how anything is 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 part of your life and it becomes part of the um you know like the wallpaper like it's it's there the whole time but you stop looking at it you know it's there on the on the bulletin board in the kitchen but you stop looking at it I look back and I'm like uh, oh yeah so this is what I resolved to be true a long time ago about who I am and about more importantly how God who God is and what we're supposed to be doing which is to pour ourselves into other other uh, children of God because that's the storyline right we're all children of God and everyone needs to know His love. Um, I say, oh, wait a second. I forgot that, but it's still true, right? And so you're, you're just right, Marissa. You know, you're, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I know that already, but I've forgotten it. But now I know it again. I hope a little a little better, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. John, in your book, and this picks up on both what Marissa and Jeff said, this sort of delineation between happiness and purpose. And, you know, there's a lot of talk also, like the difference between happiness and joy. Um, but I did not know, John, You in the second chapter, you talk about that translation of the uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And you mm. I don't know how to pronounce it, but eudoinomia, which yep. is actually yeah. the meant to be the root of that word in Latin, which means that flourishing. And I sometimes wonder if, and you kind of alluded to this in your chapter, but like for all of us who understand that line, happiness is like enshrined in the founding, whatever, for all the ways in which yeah. our founding is like, rightfully under huge microscope these days. Did that really mess us up in some ways as sort of in terms of a country's Mm -hmm. ethos? Um, Because, you know, Jeff brings up this term cruciform and sacrificial, which is obviously like a very Christian thing. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a Western or like a Greek ideal, like a very sort of scandalously Christian ideal of like that sacrifice is actually at the heart of Mm -hmm. life well lived. And I think the U.S., historically has often, I mean, it's funny, I think back to when Rick Warren published that crazy best-selling book, um, The Purpose Driven Life, and their very first sentence was, life is not about you. And that like went gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, totally. being in a writerly world, we're all like, how do we write a first sentence like that? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, can sell so well. But um, there's like this almost moral materialism in the U.S. It's like sort of a combo of almost like consumeristic happiness with, with, with some compromise with sacrifice. Um, and anyways, that's just like something I'm going to put out there. And when I did this work on years ago and trying to understand, like I was talking to custodial staffers and presidents of universities and soccer players and moms and like people all across different, all walks of life and society. I just was asking them, how is your character shaped? Cause I was trying to understand character formation today. And everyone usually told a narrative or a series of stories, and they it always fell into this three-part pattern, which was one sort of like loving authority figure in their life, uh, second, some experience of struggle that like shaped them both in kind of the spine it gave them and some of the scars it left, 
um, but that shaped who they are. And then the third thing was always some awakening to a context beyond yourself that mm. you suddenly felt like very moved by that you wanted to serve. And there's just something about that outside of self vision, whether it's a narrative or a love or a cause or God or whatever, that I often think like we're somehow missing um, both in our education systems. And there's just something going on where like colleges a lot of the time train people to think in a very achievatron way, like what's my career steps that I can take to achieve X. And then that's how we see all these quarter life crises of these like 27 year olds who've never actually considered the why questions because somehow this notion of like a broader context that might summon them to serve the needs of their generation just haven't, hasn't been presented as part of their understanding of what it means to grow into adulthood. And, um, and mentioned 27 year olds. And I think I'm the closest one <laughs> at this stage. I think as, as I've thought about purpose and which has been an inevitable part of just spending that much time with you guys is, is this idea that purpose is also this, this interesting bridge right between the individual and the collective. Cause like there, there's something about John, you mentioned this earlier that purpose, it is something about discovering your purpose. You know, you were, you were made with a certain set of experiences, both positive and negative. You have certain gifts, talents that only you possess. Like there is only you here. And so that, that is very much in the individual, but there's something about that, the fullness of you and what it offers. And it's actually critical to the whole and the flourishing of the whole. And so, so there's something actually beautiful that it, like, I wonder if it's like a both and right. And also in, in the, in the, in your book, John, in that chapter, you talk about, you know, how often we shoot for something and when our eyes are fixed on something, we end up missing it. You know what I mean? Like usually if we shoot for purpose, maybe we'll find this happiness, this joy that that we're talking about, right? And that we seem to pursue, um, I don't know, sometimes almost so blindly. So yeah, I, I wonder, there, there's something, one, really beautiful about how actually the individual purpose, our search for purpose actually connects us to the whole, and 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 us finding our purpose is is necessary, but also yeah, like maybe if we stop chasing after happiness so much and and going for the purpose, which is about everyone, maybe maybe we'll find a thing we're actually looking for. Well, I feel like that's a C.S. Lewis quote, right? I, I was gonna I was gonna go there yeah. on the yeah. There, so, so you got what is it? Yeah, put first things first. Exactly. You get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and then you lose both or something like that. That's right. Well, I think uh, one other thing I'd add to is that I think Anne, you completely brought it down to the actual central point that I've noticed, you know, we do a lot of work similar to purpose and mission and vision with families in our, in our work, you know, that's like my main full-time job. And one of the things that we find that families tend to get some level of like breakthrough is when they establish a mission and vision, exactly like you talked about, John. Now there's a couple of things there. I do feel like there's a lot of mission and vision paralysis, meaning I think a lot of people get very overwhelmed by that. They like, what does that mean? So the first thing I would say to people there is we kind of, I mean, I think it's easier than people think of just like, Think about yourself. What do you like to do? What's natural? What 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 stirs your heart? What are you engaged with? What you know, especially if you're a family, we say like, what if you have five elements of a team? How do you five work together? What does this person have? This person have? This person have? That when you put it together, is powerful. And then just kind of jot stuff down, you know, to have like a north star. But what I what I have noticed that it does truly at its heart is um, the happiness thing tends to be based in consumption. I've almost always noticed that the personal preference, personal happiness is. How can I consume things, right? So it's very inward when mission and vision and purpose is very opposite. It's very outward. How can I contribute? So we always talk about consumption versus contribution. And I think that just turns everything 
on its head. And it's not a coincidence that the rise of a consumer nation, early 1900s, Industrial Revolution, Henry Ford, the assembly line, et cetera, is the exact beginning of when everyone started getting depressed. <laughs> because like, you know, it's that classic line of having a bunch of stuff you don't need to do something you don't want with people you don't like, you know, that whatever, forget that quote. But, um, you know, that's kind of what we've created. And so we've created this monster beast of, of that. So I just tell people, man, what would it look like if you just say, what can I contribute to? What, what, how can I contribute my talents, my gifts, my resources, whatever I'm stewarding. And I think that really quickly inverses this, flips it, and you start to feel that dense amount of purpose that kind of you're created for. Wow. That's a lot there, boy. It, it, it is. And I, I feel like um, one, of my, one of my prayers in this cultural moment is that um, we would all get really honest about the fact that, quite honestly, we just don't value other people as much as maybe a God would ask us to or want us to. Because I feel like sometimes if we miss that step, just being really honest, because like, like we all know, like, yeah, it's good to, you know, care about other people. But the truth is, we're all going for self unless something has disrupted that way of being for you and has inspired you to look upwards. And yeah, I, I think, I think, yeah, you, you will find your life when you lose it, right? Like when you're giving it away, when it's sowed on behalf of, you know, flourishing of other people. But I think like, you know, just being honest that in and of ourselves, we don't really care about the flourishing of other people. We care about our own flourishing, but that honestly, what we're really looking for that like peace, that connection, that like walking with people, that camaraderie, that not feeling like you're alone, you have to step out of your natural me and me alone. And you've got to connect with and like lay down your own thing to pick up this larger thing, the all of us together. Because like, yeah, that, like you're saying, Jeff, that's where we're going to find the fulfillment. But to get that fulfillment, we're going to have to die to some things of self. I know that's not popular. Oh, you're going to bring up dying to self again, Marissa. I, right? It's right? this common we thing. We always end every episode on that. But yeah, <laughs> it's real. True. But, you know, I mean. It's the wisdom everyone needs. We, yeah, we know, true. right? Like when you're only thinking yeah. about yourself, it's a lot easier to get depressed. When you're only thinking about like what you want, it's a lot easier to focus on what you don't have. As soon as you widen this thing up and you can maybe start to see other people and what they need and how you can meet their needs and how they can meet yours and how we could do something larger together. That's when life seems like it gets interesting. Um, obviously, this is much easier to say than to live. But sometimes we can't control like when we're brought to the end of ourselves. And to be honest, when the pandemic first started, mm. so mid-March, I was, like everyone, I think, feeling like caught up in the pace of a total change of reality. And what does this mean for X, Y, Z? And I was um, just like deeply trying to sort of prayerfully reflecting Oh yeah, this whole notion of like, actually speaking of like flourishing and pain are weirdly paradoxically enmeshed with each other, at least in a fallen world. And there's something about the Christological arc of death and resurrection that even just to use as a literary device, you don't even have to like believe in what that means about Jesus being God. And maybe it was overly wishful, but I was like, maybe this pandemic in a funky way, because it's like taking over the whole earth is in, I don't want to say divinely caused or anything, but it's like a moment of allowing in all of the mess of it, a lot of us to sort of give up our conceit and control things. And there's something in the suffering with going on and frankly a lot of the dying that's going on there's a motif in scripture that over and over again this kind of like horrific pain and disruption often precedes like deliverance 
Mm-hmm. And that I don't, I still haven't quite seen that. I think we're in the middle of a huge earthquake on multiple levels. So, yeah. and it's up to a lot of us to try to shape what comes out in a delivering sense. But again, like in the character work, when studying organizations that helped people both feel attached, um, Calvin to a collective, but also rediscover their own agency. The most, to me, the most instructive and compelling communities that really just were luminous, like almost like, I hate to use this phrase, city on a hill, but like little cities on the hills, just as many little communities, they were almost always filled with like people who'd been in prison or like longtime addicts or people who had experienced extraordinary loss or, and not to like glorify suffering or to romanticize it, but I just was struck by how some of the like um, powerful wisdom and sort of humility and fruits of the spirit actually that I was seeing encouraged in certain communal contexts within the individuals in those communities, those people had like been humbled to their depths and almost, you know, hit rock bottom. And I just was often wondering, we don't all have to like (laughs) kill someone else to like (laughs) get that revelation, but like, how do we get to the end of ourselves quicker? And there's something in this moment, um, some dimension of a, of a collective being brought to the end of ourselves bit going on. I mean, 80% of Americans right now think, that the country is spiraling out of control. 80%, you can't get 80% of, of any uh, Americans to agree on anything. And 80% of Americans think that the whole, darn, the whole darn thing's out of control. What does that mean? We don't know. But what I do think, and we talk a lot about in the show, is that maybe there's a moment for a collective purpose to be refined, you know, individual purpose to be refined, and then collective purpose to be refined, and then new life to be brought out of the pain of these moments. Um, I hope. I hope so too. Well, I feel like I just had this little epiphany while you guys were talking again of the same thing, like the consumption contribution thing of consumption actually creates individual isolation because everyone is a competition, right? Everyone is a a competitor taking away your resources. I you know, if you think about it, but contribution creates teams. Like you, you, you can, if you know that it's outward focused using your resources to do something, then actually a, a, a grouping of resources will allow you to do more. And that's why you see business, and, and it's not a coincidence that families have been based in consumption the last 100 years, and you ask any family what their mission is, and they go, I don't know, you know? But you go to a business who they're literally, their entire premise is to create things and put it out into the world. Almost every single one has a mission statement, you know? You can just say, hey, and they can answer it in two seconds, you know? Same with the sports team, oh, to win the league championship, you know? Patagonia, you know, do no unnecessary harm and, you know, push back the environmental crisis. Like, that's so easy for business just to flip, put that out. You, you can't get one family to probably have that answer, you know, unless you're John Kingston and you write a book about it. <laughs> but, um, but, but I think that's what it is, is I'm realizing that it's like contribution creates teams and consumption actually kind of f- keeps fracturing you outward. A question that an older mentor of mine, he's in the 70s, Mac McCarter, Mac, or, uh, John, who you remember, yep. he always says, try to find your plumb line and stick to that. So mm-hmm. ask yourself, what is your plumb line? And that's, mm-hmm. I just... Love that. And I'm still articulating mine, I think. But, um, you know, what's our national plumb line? You know, anyways, I, just, I guess that's the last word. <laughs> Thank you, plumb line. That's a good word. That's a good word. Um, and Snyder Brooks, so great to have you with us. And and let's bring in Dan Hazeltine and Thad Cockrell uh, from Nashville. Come on, guys. Hey, you know how Oprah has her list of favorite things? Um, I have a list as well. And... And and I will just say that I was going through this list and I realized that um, that our musical guest 
is on this list multiple times. One of my favorite records of all time. And I and I have a lot of records. I listen to a lot of music. It's been probably the thing that's defined my life more than anything else has been the music that I've been a part of. One of Thad's records, To Be Loved, is is definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. So um wow. I'll say that. And then and then Thad's voice. There are few artists that I think that can be as versatile as that has been over the years. I listen to both his works as a solo artist and his works in a collective band setting uh, with his friends in leagues. And um, and there's something about a guy who can who can sing in all of these various settings uh, and still be believable and still be authentic. And every time you listen to the song, you go, yeah, yeah, I can feel that. I resonate with that. Um, and Thad's really done that well. So it's a great day to be able to introduce Thad Cockrell to the show. Thad, good to see you. That was really beautiful. Thank you. It's really good to see you, Dan. That, that means so much. Man, well, it's good to see you. Uh, a lot of times I've been asking a lot of the artists first off to just, you know, it's, we've been in kind of a, an odd season. A lot of our conversation today being about this season of, you know, of pause. How do we reflect on a season where where life as usual sort of stops and then we have to kind of figure out uh, what's the best way, what's the best purpose, how do we have meaning in the context of all of this. But I was wondering for you, you know, as an artist, pause to not be touring, to be doing more writing and things like that. Um, has it been a good creative season for you? It's been uh, a boom, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I've, I've had so many things that I'm, I'm creating I started I started doing something in the last year that I've never done before. Uh, I started painting and that has like strangely like taken off for me. But I've also been writing a lot. Um, you know, I went through through the years of 2016. I, well, I would say 2015 through 2018. I wrote so much. I'd written probably three albums worth of stuff for the League's album, the last League's album, uh, Alone Together. I wrote as much, if not a little bit more, for my solo record that's coming out next week. And then I wrote a good bit with with Joy Williams, uh, my friend Jesse Balin, and then some, and then the New Respects, and then just some one-offs, right? But I was tapped. And (laughs) I, I don't know if I picked up the guitar for the better part of six months, um, and I didn't miss it. And then I started picking it up again, but I would see it on the wall and I'd be like, wild, like that, it, it hangs there like something I do and I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I know that a lot of people, um, we all do it different ways. There's no right or wrong way, but yeah. you know, you hear a lot of people like you show up every day and you sit down and no matter what you write. And I would say that's, that's great. Um, but I also believe in seasons. And I think that whenever you're farming land, you don't, uh, you don't till and farm the same land without giving it a break. And, yeah. um, and I think you have to replenish all the nutrients in the land in order for it to give back um, something that's special. So I spent probably, I don't know, the better part of a year and a half just listening. I would go for these really long walks. I, I moved out to L.A. when I was making this album. Um, my hope was to make an album with people that didn't look, think, and believe like me. Yeah. And um, and that's not always easy to do in Nashville. And so I moved out to L.A. and I made an album with people that truly didn't look, think and believe like me. And my thought was, is like, I think a lot of times 
um, we surround ourselves with the sameness, right? And But unity doesn't come from sameness. It comes from diversity. And so my thought was, if we could all pitch in and make something beautiful together, maybe on the backside of that, when we go play shows, which we're not playing right now, but we will soon, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, when we play shows, those rooms are full of people that don't look at them, think and believe the same. Because to me, that's what great art does, right? And, yeah. um, and so, but while I was making the album, I would go for these long walks, like five miles in one direction. I would start in Koreatown, which is like LA, LA. Yeah. Uh, and I would walk for five miles in one direction and back. And then the next day I would find a different direction and five miles and back and no music on, no nothing. I would just listen. And what's going on is so not surprising. I came back from one of the walks and I called my brother, who's a pastor and um, it is a predominantly uh, a church um, of people of color. Um, and it started off uh, 90% white, and now it'd probably be the opposite. And I told Breck, I was like, Breck, I know this sounds hyperbole, which I am prone to, but I think there's going to be a civil war in this country sooner than people think. And I said that mm-hmm. to 2018, May, yeah. because I just remembered a song that I wrote on the next day, and I hadn't thought about it. I was just in the Chaz section in Seattle this past weekend. I went there and I visited some yeah. friends, uh, Mark and Brian Canlis, who have a restaurant called Canlis. And so I was like, well, while we're here, I got to go see Chaz. And I was expecting it to be, you know, I didn't know if I should wear like bulletproof vests or like helmets right. and goggles. <laughs> but we went with the whole family. They have three kids. And I'm walking around, and at one point, I'm I'm like asking Anne Marie, Mark's wife, I'm like, are you having a hard time wrapping your mind around like what you thought this was going to be and what you're seeing? She's like, yes. It was actually really beautiful and peaceful. And hmm. and I listened to a lot of the speakers. There was nothing inflammatory. It was truthful. It was really, it was really beautiful. Wow. Um but that's a long answer to a short question. I apologize. I'm just <laughs> no, now, I love this. I'm just now starting to really write a lot during this season. Good. Well, yeah. I'm glad you are because I, I know that what will come out of it will be um, some just real incredible expressions uh, about the experiences of going into these places. And that's a really great thing to do. The best, I do feel like, you know, I've said this multiple times, but the best songwriters are the ones that have taken that discipline to look at the world, listen to the world, and then describe it back to us. And yeah. uh, I feel like when you take that seriously, the art that comes out of that, the expression is always worth everybody else's ears to hear. So, Dad, do you got a, um, would you mind playing us a song today? Yeah, I, I wrote this um, about uh, me realizing the complexity of my humanity. And um, and in the, the the evangelical world that I grew up in, the false idea that we are to be um, we don't need people, right? And that you're supposed mm-hmm. to be self sufficient in everything. And I was privately having this conversation. I'm like, but like I'm really needy. <laughs> <laughs> like if I was going to tell anybody, like what? Like I'm a really needy person. And so this is a, this is a, a, a confession as much as it is anything else. I need a road to travel. I need a home that's mine. I need a shelter from the storm. 
I need a mountain to climb And there's things I need That I don't know I need But I need them still Yes, I do I need arms to hold me I need a human touch I need a laugh in the sorrow I wish I didn't need so much I need the sunshine to burn me I need the pouring rain I need a mystery I got a lot of love in this heart Take it from me I got a lot of love in this heart Won't you set it free I got a lot of things in this life That I know I need But all I want is you All I want is you I need the smell of the pie Blowing through the wind And it feels like a letter Sent from a long lost friend I need to care a lot more I need to care a lot less I need a victory Yes I do I need a fight in the alley I need a busted lip I need to learn to let go I need to tighten my grip I need to watch the sunrise I need a midnight kiss I need to feel the pain Yes, I do I got a lot of love in this heart Oh, you take it I got a lot of love in this heart, come on, set it free. I got a lot of things in this life that I know I need. But all I want is you. All I want is you. Yeah. So, Thad, you've got a new record coming out in like a few days, six uh, this this month, right? The twenty sixth. This time, right? this day, next week. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which is pretty amazing. Uh, if in case you feel the same is the yeah. name of it. I've gotten to hear some of it and uh, it's great. It's great. I love Thank it. You. So, Thank you. you know, I'm a fan, so I'm going to say that, but, uh, but it truly is um, again, stuff that uh, the way that you can put stuff together and, and uh, string the ideas out the way you do is, is worth it. It's worth really a listen. So. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, man. Well, that I don't want to put you on the spot to have to play another one with that guitar unless you, you feel like you could, but uh, what are you, how are you feeling? Yeah, I can, I can, I can try. Got- I mean, we, we just, uh, it's, it's so interesting when, when I'm writing, it's like this album, it's a real album. And so I think what I've tried to do in my career is to 
be brave enough to walk into rooms that people are walking out of. Cause honestly it makes more room for me, <laughs> but you know, the common, the common logic now these days in the music industry is don't make albums. Nobody's listened to albums. You want to like, you want singles. And so my thought was like, well then it sounds like time to make an album. And uh, because I think there is cross, uh, there's a cross section between what people want and what people need. And, and if you can, find that X, that bullseye. I think it might be my personal bullseye, whether I know it or not. Um, then maybe there's a, a conversation to, to be had and to start. But the album is If In Case You Feel The Same. And it starts with the first verse and chorus of If In Case You Feel The Same. Then you hear the whole album. And then you, the last thing you hear on the album is the last verse and chorus of If In Case You Feel The Same. So it's a real album. Wow. When I made, when I wrote this song, it was it was uh, the beginning of something. I don't think I when I wrote this song. I don't think I think it changed my my songwriting from from there on. I realized it was something that only I would say. I think I found my voice in it. Um, so it's a song. Pride of Pride won't guess where we're going. Truth will keep on shining like the morning sun, brighter than. Troubled winds will blow And if you lose your vision You can use my eyes To see just where it is you need to go Oh, pride won't get us where we're going It's made life of standing in the way of all the beauty this world has worth knowing, pride won't get us where we go. No pride won't get us where we go. And truth will keep on shining like the morning sun, brighter than. Troubled winds will blow And if you use your vision You can use my eyes To see just where it is you need to go Oh, pride won't get us where we go It's a mad life of standing in the way of all the beauty this world has worth knowing, pride won't get us where we go. No pride won't get us where we're going. No, we're finally free to know. The gravity that we can overcome, we can overcome, we can overcome, we can overcome. Pride won't get us where we go. It's made life of standing in the way. Of all the beauty this world 
as with no Pride won't get us where we're going. No pride won't get us where we're going. Yeah. Man, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. And uh, I really enjoyed yeah. getting to hear all of y'all talk and share your heart. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we'll see you around Nashville at some point, I'm sure. John, we'll kick it back to you from Nashville all the way back up north. Thank you, Thad. Thank you, Dan. So grateful for you two. And Snyder Brooks, thank you again. Thank you all. Again, as always, so good to be with you. God bless you. Be with you. And until we're connecting next, keep fighting the good fight. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.